Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. In 1844, Elijah McCoy was born in Ontario, Canada, as the son of fugitive slaves who made their way to Canada from Kentucky via the Underground Railroad. Now, Elijah McCoy was an incredibly brilliant child, and at the age of 15, his parents realized this, and they sent him to Scotland to become a mechanical engineer because no college in the United States would train an African-American student, at least not in the area of mechanical engineering. So Elijah makes his way to Scotland, and as he's in Scotland, he develops a degree, he becomes certified, he gets all of the qualifications of that day, he makes his way back to America. It's now after the Civil War, he lands in Detroit, Michigan with his parents, and Elijah can't get a job. Because of the racial prejudices of that day, Elijah was unable to find a job as a mechanical engineer, even though he had some of the highest scores And one of the most renowned degrees in the world, he couldn't find a job. So Elijah didn't let that slow him down. He joined the Central Michigan Railroad as an oil man. Now, on that day, the locomotives would run for a a few miles and then have to be stopped and be re-oiled. And so everyone would get off the train. They would re-oil all the axles. Then they would get back on the train, and they would go for a while. And then they'd have to do this process over and over and over again made it very inefficient, very ineffective, and productivity for the railroad was at a high cost at this point. Elijah, being an incredibly brilliant individual, came up with a design called the McCoy Lubricating System that would automatically drop oil onto the axles so that the train could move for hundreds of miles before having to be stopped. This young man who was born as the son of fugitive slaves transformed the railroad industry, and made millions for people. Well, like any good thing, over time, counterfeits come on the scene, and so people started to make other options that were designed to lubricate the axles of the locomotives, but they didn't work as well. And it became known in the railroad industry that the question would come up often when they were to inspect a locomotive or they were to sell a locomotive, the question became, is this the real McCoy or is this a counterfeit? Is this the real McCoy? Is this the one that works the best or is this the counterfeit? And this is where the saying comes from in our language of asking if this is the real McCoy, something that's genuine, something that works like it's supposed to work. And so that became the question throughout the railroad industry, and it jumped and ended up becoming a part of our society to ask the question, is this the real McCoy or are you the real McCoy? You see, there's indicators in our Christian life. There's benchmarks of who we are as Christians That there's a watching world around us asking the question, are you genuine? Are you the real McCoy in regards to being a Christian or are you a counterfeit? Now, I can't answer that question for you today. Only you can. But one of those indicators, one of those benchmarks for are we genuinely following Christ is in the area of contentment. 
Because if we're going to sing songs like it is well with my soul, then we can't be a people who run around like chickens with our heads cut off when things don't go the way that we want. If we're going to say that we trust God in all things, we got to be people who actually do that. And sometimes when we have a lack of contentment, and contentment by definition is to be at ease or to be at peace or to have a sense of satisfaction with where you are regardless of the circumstances. And unfortunately for many Christians, including myself, contentment is one of those things that we struggle with most, especially in this country. Because only in America could you have a day dedicated to thankfulness, followed by a day of sheer insanity to find the lowest price item wherever you're at. And so today, the question is, are you the real McCoy or are you a counterfeit? And if you are a counterfeit, I've got great news for you. That, that every single person here in some regard is a counterfeit because we don't always live up to the way that God has called us to live. But the great news is today is that you can do something about it. And the great news is, is that you can find contentment. You can learn it. Um, I am not the brightest crown in the box. In, in another month, we will challenge all of you to choose one word based on one scripture to focus on for the year. I've had the same word for two years, and I still can't get it. And it was contentment based off 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. But godliness with contentment is great what? Gain is great gain. So I'm on year number two of trying to learn contentment. This is maybe your first exposure to it, but I hope it'll give you something to work on today, and I hope that it'll help you see that as Christians, as genuine Christians, as the real McCoy, we are called to be contented people or people of contentment, to be at ease and sense of satisfaction regardless of what's happening around us. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 10, he wraps up the book of Philippians with this idea of contentment. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. And my small group was making fun of me a couple weeks ago when they said, do people actually take the Bibles or do you just say that? Yeah, people actually take the Bibles. You are free to take one. That's what they're there for. The best thing you could do is to take a Bible and start to read it because it doesn't so much matter what I say or Pastor John says, but what the Word of God says. And so if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're at. He says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you have sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was hoping that someone would remember him. He's in prison. 
shackled to a Roman soldier, and he hoped that someone would have enough care and concern to do something, and the Philippians did that. If you remember a couple weeks ago in chapter 2, we found out that they sent Epaphroditus along with a bunch of gifts. Those gifts were sent. They helped Paul. We don't know exactly what the gifts were, but they were of great value to him because he says in verse 10, he says that I rejoice greatly that you renewed your concern for me. Paul had a long relationship with the church in Philippi. When he founded it nearly 10 years ago, they had showed up in more than one occasion to step up and help him in a really tangible way. And Paul says, he rejoices greatly that you've renewed your concern for me. They were concerned, but they just had not had an opportunity to show it until this time. And what we see when we talk about being genuine Christians, especially in our culture, and today this is trying to take the culture that Paul's writing in and the culture that we live in, and what are the parallels? And there's a bunch of them. But one of the things that you'll discover today is that in our culture, we love to use words and say that we're concerned. But what we actually find out is it's really easy to say that we want to do stuff, right? I I hope to do this. I want to do this. But actually following through with it becomes very difficult because we're busy people. we got other things to do. And so the Philippian church, not just, they just didn't talk about showing concern for Paul. They did something. And they sent Epaphroditus and they sent the gifts that were with them and they sent those to him. And we discover first and foremost that we show our concern best by what we do not by what we say. It's easy to say that we're concerned about people, right? And given the opportunity, we will often step up and do something. But when that ends in just our language, in our, in our concern of, of our speech, and it isn't followed up with action, it becomes a problem. We'll often say what? I'll pray for you. I hope you do. If you offer to pray for somebody, I hope you do. But it's really easy to say, I'll pray for you, and then what? Forget to pray. It's really easy to say, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you move next week. And then no one is around. We have great intentions, and the Philippians had great intentions. And Paul says, I rejoice because you've renewed your concern for me. You, you didn't have an opportunity to show it. And, and throughout, we figure out here by the end of chapter 4, that throughout their history together, they had had opportunities to show it, but it hadn't come up recently. And Paul says that he rejoices over the fact that they stepped up and did something. Our concern proves genuine when we're willing to do something. And thinking about being the real McCoy in regards to being a Christian and not a counterfeit Christian, it forces us to evaluate, are we really concerned? Do we really care? It's like Paul said earlier in Philippians chapter 2, that we were to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather than humility, value others above ourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Another marker that Paul spends just a brief moment on is genuine concern for one another. But he uses that and goes into his next thought in verse 11, where he says, I am not saying this because I'm in need. He's not trying to make them feel bad because they weren't concerned in the way that he thought they should be. He's saying, look, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I want you to say that with me today. I have learned to be content. Contentment is something you can learn. So if you're not a content person, this is great news for you. This is not some far-fetched unicorn that you won't be able to chase down one day. This is something that you can actually learn. 
And the question becomes, well, how do we learn to be content? Because contentment is a choice. Contentment is something that does not come naturally to us, especially in our culture where we just um, can flip over to Amazon and order whatever we want, and it'll be there in some cases within hours. Whatever the circumstances, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Holidays a little rough for you? Paul says, look, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Your job maybe not quite what you want? I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Your marriage not quite the way you hoped it would be? I've learned to be content, sickness, setbacks. And when you look at Paul's life, he is like the poster child of learning contentment. I want you to think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 highlights all the ways in which Paul learned contentment. Paul experienced the highest of highs. He was known of a, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew among the Jews. He was known as an elite person as Saul. God gets a hold of his life and he experiences the other end of the spectrum. Let me just highlight a few of the ways that Paul learned. He was shipwrecked three times. He was beaten with rods three times, and he was lashed five times. If anyone starts to beat me with lashes or rods, the contentment is done, right? Stoned once, imprisoned, abandoned by his friends, bit by a snake, and I know for many of you that would be game over. He was sick. He almost drowned. He had a lack of sleep. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was naked one time. And through all of it, whatever the circumstances, he says, I've learned to be content. There is something really incredible when we view the opportunities that God has placed upon us as an opportunity to learn contentment. Because it could be a whole lot better, but it could be a whole lot worse. And the day that we learn that whatever we're chasing because we think that somebody else has it better, there's always somebody that has it better. And there is always somebody who has it worse. And if you're chasing that person or that thing or that success or that job or whatever it is, you will never, ever, ever get enough. Ever. So Paul says, look, I've experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and I've learned that no matter what the circumstances, I have learned to be content. The great news is, is contentment is something we can learn. And the question today is God trying to teach you something. Where you're at today... Is God trying to teach you contentment? He might be. He might be trying to help you understand what it means to be content, to be at rest, to be at peace. No matter what you're going through, we can be content. Now, this doesn't mean that we just roll over and accept life and say, I'm never going to try anything. I'm just going to sit here and be content now. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do better or trying to achieve great things. But when we're doing that for our own benefit and not in view of what God wants us to do, we might miss out. <clears throat> because Paul says, look, I've learned, no matter the circumstances, to be content. <clears throat> he goes on in verse 12 to say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul had seen provision, and he had seen poverty, and he had seen everything in between. And he was able to say that I've learned. I, I didn't start out this way, 
The first time I was shipwrecked, I was not content about that, nor the second, but apparently by the third, he had figured it out. He had figured out that by the time he was beat or stoned or by the time that he was abandoned by his friends, he was able to say, I can be content, I can be at rest, I can be at peace. Here's the thing, contentment freed Paul, and it'll free you to stay focused on what matters most. When we're content with where God has us today, recognizing that that is where we are, when we genuinely understand that, it frees us up from the comparison trap that is killing people in our world today of bigger, better, faster, thinner, sexier, more money, whatever you're chasing, if you will learn to be content, it will free you from that and you will be able to focus on what's most important. Paul says that contentment is possible regardless of my circumstances. I want you to tell yourself that today. Contentment is possible regardless of my circumstances. I had some things I was doing over the past few days I really didn't want to do. And one of those was I was getting a Christmas tree with my extended family, and we moved through most of southern Ohio to find a Christmas tree. And then we carried said Christmas tree across most of southern Ohio. And as I'm carrying my third Christmas tree, because I already carried one for my in-laws and one for my brother-in-law and helped him and one for somebody else, I'm sitting there telling myself, I have learned to be content. Contentment is possible in every circumstance. And simply telling yourself that will start to reframe what's really going on. Because it wasn't that, it wasn't that cold. It was fairly enjoyable. There's a lot of things that you could understand when we take it back a step and view them through the lens of what is this really like. So contentment is possible regardless of my circumstances, and I don't know what you're going through today. For some of you, you have deep, dark pain. And I want to tell you that contentment is possible for you too. Because often in those deepest, darkest moments is where God loves to meet us. You see, when we're focused on all the flashy, cool things, we're not focused on Him. But when all that's stripped away, and there's nothing left to see, and it's just left with you, your thoughts, and the Lord, God does something pretty cool. Paul continues to showcase in chapter 4 what Pastor John talked about last week, that God sufficiently provides in every circumstance. And so Paul says, look, I've learned the secret of being content. You know what the secret of being content is? It's Christ. I've learned the secret of being content, and it's Christ. And you say, well, that's the Sunday school answer. Yep. But have you tried it? I mean, like, genuinely tried it? Like, put aside everything else that you're hoping for and consistently tried to trust Christ? Because Paul's saying, I've been through all of this. I had a lot of money, then I didn't have a lot of money. I had a lot of clothes, then I had no clothes. I had sickness, and then I had health. And through all of that, what's been the one thing that's been consistent? Christ. So he says, I've learned to be content in chapter 4, verse 12. Then he says, I have learned to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. When everything else has been tried, and yet you still have a gaping hole inside your heart, 
Would you be willing to try Christ? There's three rules when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Those are context, context, and context. It works every time. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, this is what many people have claimed to and clung to. It is often referred to as one of the most misquoted and misinterpreted verses. Matter of fact, if you're looking for a reading uh, book to read this next year, I'd encourage you to read this book by Eric Bargerhuff, which is the most misused verses in the Bible. He goes through the top 15 verses and, and how we misuse them. And Philippians 4.13 is usually applied like this. You have a Jesus follower on one basketball team that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You have a Jesus follower on another basketball team who says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They go out and they play hard and they play for the glory of God. And what happens? Someone's going to lose. Someone's faith is incredibly strengthened and someone's faith is shipwrecked somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean because God didn't show up and give me the strength to do what I needed to do. So we can't claim this verse and say that I can go out and be a great basketball player or an incredible musician or anything like that because that may not be the case. It might be, but it's probably not going to be that way. So in the context of all of this, Paul says, look, I've learned to be content no matter the situation, whether well-fed or hungry, and I can do all of those because the secret of doing all of that, the secret of being content in any every situation is Christ. And the way that we get there is through Christ's power. You see, contentment is possible with Christ's power and not my own. When rightly applied, Philippians 4.13 is an incredibly powerful and an incredibly relatable verse. We can be content. We can find strength. We can endure difficulty because it's Christ who is strengthening us in that moment. And when we rely on him, Christ is most glorified because his strength is shown in us. That is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4.13. Now, there may be times that he gives you strength to do something else. Absolutely. But in this context, what Paul is saying now is, look, you want to be content? You're going to need my help. Because given our own selfishness, we will try everything else and find ourselves defeated. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid on more than once when I was in need. Paul shows, says that they had a genuine concern, a sharing of, their tr of his troubles, which led the Philippians to be generous on more than one occasion. When Paul was in need, they stepped up, just like you guys. I love being a part of a church that, whether it's coats for an elementary school, it's Thanksgiving offering, it's there's a giving tree out back or family promise that when there's a need, you show up and you do something, which is proof that we show our concern best by what we do, not by what we say. And that's what happened with the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi says, Paul says, moreover, as you Philippians know, that when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared in giving and receiving except you only. They were the only church to do so. They were the real McCoy in regards to generosity. They stepped up and did something. When they had a concern or they saw a need, they went out and did something about it. 
Their commitment to Christ and their commitment to one another led them to be incredibly generous, and we are so thankful, I am so thankful to be a part of a church that's like that here today. Last week, you gave nearly $50,000 towards the Thanksgiving offering because you wanted to help people both here and around the world in a variety of ways. And Paul says, look, you're the only church that's like that. But the thing that is kind of inextricably linked is contentment and generosity. And Paul's going to make his case for that in just a moment. But if you're a content person, contentment forces us to look beyond ourselves. When we're not content, we only see what we want to see. But when we're content, it opens us up to see a whole different world. And Paul's going to talk about that in just a minute. You see, generosity is often one of the last things that Christians hold on to. They'll go to church, they'll read their Bible, they'll pray, but being generous costs us something. Usually money, but sometimes time or resources. And the church in Philippi, Paul is commending them for being a generous people. And they were the only ones, they showed up in ways that no other church did. Here's the thing, if we're truly content with God, if we're truly trusting God, if we're truly relying on Him, then generosity is an outflow of that. Generosity is just who we are because we have been given so much. And so Paul commends the church in Philippi. I want to commend you as a church for continuing to do your part. If you struggle with generosity, it's probably a contentment issue. It probably is. I'm going to do a seminar in, on December 15th um, during the 9 o'clock hour about generosity. would love to have you if you struggle with that because we all do. Some of us are better than others, but that's one thing you could do. If you struggle with being generous because you're so tight in your finances, I would encourage you to, to consider Financial Peace University that happens in January. Those are two great ways that you could work through that. But almost at the root of all of the lack of generosity is usually a lack of contentment. So contentment forces us to look beyond ourselves, and this is what I mean by this. Go on to verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts, Paul says. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. Paul had learned to be content no matter what was happening around him. And the question is, are we? And he says, look, I don't desire your gifts so much. I desire that more would be credited to your account. And when we understand how God sees giving, how God sees generosity, how God sees everything, the great news is, is that if you've not been rewarded adequately here in this life, and if you're truly serving and loving and giving to God out of a heart that is full of gratitude towards Him, He will blow you away in the next life. And Paul tells the Philippians, he says, look, I don't desire for more gifts to come from you. I desire that you would give more gifts so that more would be credited to you, so that one day you will see how good and how great God is. He understood the concept that God will reward everyone and that those rewards outweigh what we could ever give here. The great news is that God knows the heart behind which we give as well, so you can fake it, but God sees why we do what we do. And it should be out of a gracious, generous heart. And so contentment forces us to look beyond ourselves, and that's what happened in Paul's life. How easy would it have been for Paul to say, this jail cell is really small. I could use some more gifts. But he was content enough to say, look, I don't, I don't want your gifts. 
so much. I desire that more would be credited to your account. And when we're content, it forces us to look beyond ourselves, to look to the needs of others, what he's been hammering home since Philippians chapter 2. Verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul was encouraged by their renewed concern and that their gift along with Epaphroditus was enough for him. And apparently they didn't have to do anything else. There's a lot of peace that comes with contentment. contentment because you realize you don't have to do anything else. You realize that, especially for those of us who claim to be Christians in this room, our biggest need has been taken care of. Will you have other needs in life? Absolutely. But the one that causes you the greatest problem, the one that causes the greatest long-term concern for any of us, has been absolutely taken care of what Jesus did on the cross. So that's where our contentment starts. And because we have been so richly blessed in that area, and especially in this country, in every other area as well, it should lead us to be content people. The last thing you need to know about contentment is, is that contentment gives us an accurate view of reality. And I love what Paul says here in verse 18. He says, look, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And then he says this. He says that those gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and they're pleasing to God. When we're content like Paul was content at that point, we have an accurate view of reality. Would he have wanted more gifts? Apparently not. He was completely content with where he was. Can you imagine that? Just to be completely at rest with where you're at. I don't need a new car. I don't need a new house. I don't need a new next and best whatever. I'm just content today with where I am. And if God happens to bless me with that, I'm going to be content with that. I'm going to be grateful for that. Discontentment takes our focus off what's most important. And Paul says at the end of verse 18 there that those gifts were an, an act of worship. That those people were living out their faith in a way that was tangible. So discontentment takes our focus off what's most important, off the blessings we have, and leaves us searching for more because more is never enough. As I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this to help us understand what it might look like in our lives when we're not content, I thought of hamsters. Now, I didn't do a lot of research on hamsters, and I wanted to buy a hamster, but Shelly said no. So I've got a video here in just a second that'll play. Hamsters eat, hamsters sleep, hamsters go to the bathroom, and they play on their wheel. I want you to see what happens when hamsters play on their wheel.
I think that that's the way God looks down at us. I think if you noticed the one hamster, once he saw the other hamster was on the wheel, he had to be a part of that. And then there's always the one outlier. You probably know who they are in your family, and if not, it's you, but the one that wanted to go on the outside of the wheel and think that if we just chase those things enough, that that somehow will, will make us happy. And I have a feeling for many of us today that we're counterfeit in the way that we talk about God and that we, we're not the real McCoy because we look at everything else around us. The married people want to be single. The single people want to be married. The people who want another job or a better car, no one's happy because everyone's looking at what everyone else has. And so we're stuck on this wheel, and occasionally God flings us off like the hamsters that were on there and wakes us up to help us see that we are so, so, so incredibly blessed. You can count on God to reward your generosity and your contentment. But you can't allow yourself to take the blessings that God has given you and turn them into a God. Because it'll leave you wanting so much more. Paul concludes chapter 4 when he says, And my God will meet all your needs. Say that with me. All, all, all your needs. Sometimes our needs and our wants get mixed up. My youngest daughter thinks that she needs everything for Christmas. And as we went through her Christmas list, I reminded her that those are wants, not needs. God makes a promise through Paul here, and he says, look, my God will meet all of your needs according to his, what? Riches. God's overflowing, bountiful goodness is available to you in every area of your life that you have a need. And so today, maybe it's a good reminder as we go into Christmas of what's our need and what's our want. And are we content? Are we the real McCoy in regards to how we're living out our faith? Paul ends in verse 20. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's what's called a doxology, an outburst or a thankfulness to what God has done. And as Paul concludes his letter, he gives a few concluding remarks in a couple of verses that follow. But he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I want to just recap Philippians for you today for what we've learned, or at least what I've learned, hopefully you've learned, and remind you of why we can praise God and give him glory forever and ever. The book of Philippians, what Paul wrote down, reminded us of a few things. God will meet your needs. God will give you strength. God will give you peace. God will help you treasure Christ. God will help you remain humble. God will help you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. God will advance the gospel no matter what is happening around us. God will help our love grow for him and for others. God will help us see that our greatest need is met in Jesus Christ only. And what an incredible reminder from the book of Philippians that we need more God. We don't need more stuff. As we close our time today, just want to remind you of a few things. There's two teams that are heading out this week. The Johnson family is headed to Northern Africa on a medical mission team. There's also a team headed to Colorado, uh, about 12 of us that are heading out there to help with a church plant this week and ask that you'd pray for them. That not only for safety, but that they would learn what God wants them to learn, that they would be his hands and feet. And that for all of us, 
that we would be able to find contentment wherever we find ourselves this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today. God, I know that there are so many flashy, exciting, cool things that we think that we need. But God, I thank you that you've given us the biggest thing we need of all, and that's your son, Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, you've given us a whole bunch of other stuff that we really wanted. But God, I pray that you'd help for every single person in this room today that they would understand that they have been given so much, that we can find contentment in any and every circumstance. And God, we thank you for the reminder from Paul's life that he went through a lot worse than we probably will ever go through. And so God, if Paul was able to find contentment, so can we. God, I do pray for the Johnsons and I pray for the team that's headed to Colorado, that God, that they would be tangible expressions of your love to the people that they interact with, that you would help them to not just show the gospel, but share it as well, that they would have opportunities and that they would be bold and to step out and to share their faith. And for the rest of us, God, we recognize that we're all here, that we've been blessed with so much because of the riches of Christ and that we'd be willing to step up and serve and lead and love whoever you put in our path this week. God, we thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice that he gave on our behalf. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, that they would seek you out, that they would try you, so to speak, because everything else probably has been tried and it isn't working. And so, God, we're thankful that following you and setting you at the forefront of our lives can help us not only be content, but can solve the biggest problem we have, which is our sin. God, we love you, and we thank you for the chance to be together as a community today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.